If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute the podcast for you to great places like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started now. And thanks for listening to Anchor. This is Mark Edward Willows in The Gabin Cabin. Today, I have a very special guest, which I am really thrilled to have on the program. He is Ron DeFore. And I'm sure the last name sounds very familiar because he is the son of veteran, I guess we could say legendary actor, Don DeFore. And of course, everybody remembers Don from The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. And yes, he was Mr. B, George Baxter on the old TV show, Hazel. And Ron is joining us today. Ron, welcome to the show. Well, Mark, uh, really glad to be with you and your audience. First question, Ron, for you that I want to know, what is it like to be Don DeFore's son? Uh, It's a lot different than being uh, a superstar son. That's the first thing I want to say is, you know, dad was, I I always say to people, you know, kind of a a upper mediocre (laughs) uh, star in the the world of things. Uh, However, he does have a star on Hollywood Boulevard, so that that does say a lot. But... um, I think my life was very different uh, than many uh, sons and daughters of famous people because my dad uh, raised us very conservatively. He, he grew up uh, in rural uh, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and uh, uh, was always fairly conservative. And uh, he sheltered us a, a lot. I've got uh, four other siblings, a brother and and three sisters. Um, and so we weren't part of like the Hollywood crowd. And uh, so I, I, that's the biggest uh, thing that I would say about my life growing up as right. Don before son. Right. Because you hear so much about, you know, the Hollywood kids, the the uh, children of celebrities and all going off the deep end. And you seem like you are very grounded. Today, you are very successful. You still have a successful career. So I guess we would say we owe that to dad and probably mom as well. Oh, absolutely. And, and I write a, a lot about that in, in my book. Um, I, I resented uh, that when I was growing up as a teenager, uh, because, you know, when I wanted a, a Fender guitar and an amp, uh, I had to convince my parents that, you know, I would take lessons and, and then they would lend me the money and I would work it, uh, work it off by, you know, mowing the lawn, painting the houses, you know, in, in, in Brentwood of all places in between Beverly Hills and Pacific Palisades, none of my friends were, were made to do that. So I really, I really resented that. But the day I walked out when I was 18, uh, it dawned on me. I mean, I, I knew the value of money. Uh, and, uh, you know, before I was 21, I was the associate director of the Steve Allen show. I mean, he, he just gave me, you know, the, the basics of life and I, I've appreciated it ever since. Right. Now, working on the Steve Allen show, uh, we're going to get to your book in a moment here that you wrote, but working on the Steve Allen show, obviously, that had to be a highlight for you at a very young age. What was that like? What was Steve like? 
Steve uh, was a genius. Uh, those that know of him know that. Um, and uh, he, he was very demanding. I, I often equate him to what my dad probably experienced working with uh, Ozzie Nelson, who was also a perfectionist and a genius at what he did. Um, you know, we, we would shoot uh, three 90-minute uh, talk shows uh, on a Wednesday and then three more on a Thursday. It was a grueling schedule. But, but he had a, a mind, a memory that, uh, that, that never faded. We, we would come in after doing three shows, come in the next morning, and there'd be a memo on the producer's uh, desk, you know, eight pages long. And he, he would get into the detail, like, you know, on the second show, uh, sixth segment, uh, you know, why was camera two on me and not on Cosby's face when he went through that, uh, you know, laughter or, you know, something like that. And then we would just shake our heads going, how does the guy remember this stuff? <laughs> yes, definitely sounds like a genius. Now, listen, I want to talk also, Ron, about your book, and I love, love the title of it. Growing Up in Disneyland, and this book is also part biography about your dad. Tell us a little about it. How did all of this come up, the idea, everything? Give us a little background. Um, well, let me give you the, the short answer first, so I'll, I'll rush through the, the interesting part about dad having a restaurant in Disneyland, and uh, and it's a very unusual uh part of Disneyland history. So for 20 years, my brother and I have been asked to give these uh, presentations at various uh, Disney enthusiast groups, into, including two of the big D23 conventions uh, in, in Anaheim. And we would walk through, uh, you know, first of all, who is Don DeFore? So anybody in the audience didn't know. And we'd go through, you know, the TV and uh, he was in more than 35 uh, feature films. So we'd walk through that and then we'd get to the, the, the restaurant uh, in Disneyland. And we started giving these uh, presentations a, a bit. And every year I'd say, you know, Dave, we, we have to start adding, you know, different things in. And as we found after we give these presentations and we're talking with friends and sharing the the many stories we have outside of Disneyland, they they go, wow, you know, you should write a book. And so I started adding those things in those presentations after we'd go through the restaurant, even though they had nothing to do with Disneyland, but it was like, you know, our family getting to meet the Beatles or uh, my encounter with uh, Robin Williams or having Jonathan Winters over uh, for the evening, uh, you know, all these different things. And, and finally, after a few decades, uh, when I started my retirement, uh, the one thing that I hadn't had all that time, all that, all those years was the time, the time to write a book. And it just, it dawned on me that uh, I was going to do it. Right. Now, like you mentioned, you know, meeting the Beatles, meeting Led Zeppelin, uh, you know, the Beach Boys, all of these famous people. Uh, is there anyone in your mind that stands out that you were really impressed with? Uh, good question. Um, yeah, probably Mike Love of the Beach Boys. Uh, he and I became very good friends. Uh, we met at a uh, a, a Reagan inaugural ball of all places. And, uh, 
and started talking. And I, I was the director of public affairs for the Peace Corps at that time. And, I, and we were gearing up uh, for a year long celebration of the 25th anniversary of the Peace Corps. And uh, and he hears that and he goes, well, wait a minute. What year is that? And I said, 1986. And he goes, that's the 25th anniversary of the Beach Boys. And we we thought, wow, that would be great. So we really kept brainstorming. We met a number of times uh, trying to think of maybe doing Beach Boy concerts in a few of the uh, countries where the Peace Corps was serving. Unfortunately, it that never uh, came to fruition. But during that time, at one point, he called me and said, uh, hey, you know, you've heard of the Live Aid uh, concert coming up, right? And uh, I said, oh, sure. He says, well, how would you like to fly up there uh, with me and the boys and be my PR guy for the day? And I said, mm-hmm. hey, I'm I'm in. So I got to uh, <laughs> step in and be his PR guy for a day and uh, got to meet uh, Brian Wilson. Uh, and uh, right before they went on stage, he grabs my hand and pulls me up on stage. So I- I'm like 10 feet away from them uh, watching one of my favorite groups uh, perform at Live Aid. Yeah, unbelievable. And Ron, you know, you have done so much. I mean, tell me, you know, uh, besides the music, the acting, all, how did the political career come up? Well, I. I, as I say in my book, I've, I've got somewhere around 20 different careers, and uh, I I equate my career to uh, the beginning and the end of Forrest Gump, where you see the feather just kind of going <laughs> w- with the wind, and that's kind of how my career went. I, I, I didn't really have a desire to be one particular thing, and uh, as a door would close, another one would open, so... Um, I was in between careers, as they say, uh, when uh, Ronald Reagan became president. My dad was not only good friends with him, he co-starred in a picture with him. She's working her way through college and uh, and campaigned for uh, Reagan, not only for president, but for governor. And he was also um, a, uh, a delegate to the uh, Reagan convention in 76 and 80. Anyway, so they were good friends. My dad wound up getting an appointment uh, on the president's advisory board to the Peace Corps. And uh, I was in between jobs and he said, hey, you know, the West Coast office of the Peace Corps is looking for uh, somebody to run that. And, uh, and they're looking for somebody that knows a lot about media. And I thought, well, I guess I could probably pass that test. And, and as I, with many of my careers, I'd look at it and go, wow, yeah, far out. That's really bizarre. Working for the federal government. Yeah, go for it. You know, you think, because uh, this is how I feel, and I'm kind of like you. I wore a lot of hats all my life, too, doing everything. Uh, do you think that made you a well-rounded individual by doing all of these different things? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Especially when I came uh, you know, uh, clo- pretty much close to the last career, which was public relations. Um, and you know, I, I, what would happen in other careers is I would just get bored with it. And, and I learned a long, long time ago that if you, if you don't have a burning desire to be in whatever you're doing, get out of it because life is too short. Oh, exactly. And, Words that I live by. You took it right out of my mouth. <laughs> and, and so, uh, when I was working at a, uh, a, it was after I was a Reagan appointee doing public relations in 
a couple of different spots. Um, I, w I got a job as senior vice president at a PR firm in Washington, was there for five years. But very early on, I, was, I remembered the exact moment I was sitting at my desk and I thought, you know what? This is the kind of business I could stick with for the rest of my life because the clients are constantly changing. The challenges uh, and advice that we would give uh, clients was constantly changing. And that was what I needed. I needed constant change so I wouldn't get bored. Exactly. And that's how I am. You need to do something with a passion. Otherwise, why do it? If exactly. you're going to say it's a job and it's a job, you know what? It's the same Monday. It's going to be the same Tuesday. Then yep. by Wednesday, you need to be out of there. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Well, one of my sayings that I've said for years, too many people live for the weekends. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Ron, I need to ask you about Hazel. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you were actually on Hazel as well as a child, correct? Uh, summer of 61, uh, when Dad started uh, shooting uh, episode one, um, well, obviously before they started shooting, he was reading the script and uh, realized that the, uh, little Harold, the, the kid in the show, needed uh, five or six uh, buddies in football uniforms for the uh, the final scene so i guess he said to somebody there he says well hey i you know i can gather them up with my son so uh yeah we're in the final scene of uh i think it's called the playground and uh and it was me uh my friend barry van dyke actually um chris van dyke and i were really good friends but chris was about a year older than me and he was huge he, he was probably six inches taller than me so my dad said now chris can't do it but barry can probably do it and then my cousin pat and our our physician's son and, mm -hmm. and our pastor's son so we all got well, to be well, experts. i'm trying to think of that first episode is that the one where hazel kicked the football in the fireplace well actually uh, she fills it with helium and 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 one of uh, one of Mr. B's clients, who, who uh, Hazel wanted to be impressed, he kicks it and was surprised at his ability to kick it that far. Yes, and it goes in the fireplace of the old. Now, Ron, I need to ask you, working with Shirley Booth, what was that like? Do you know, believe it or not, I still watch that show quite often. I think it on TV. I love it. Your dad is brilliant. Shirley is brilliant. And I always love how Shirley outsmarts your dad, especially when it comes to words and things like yeah, that. Sure. <laughs> what was it like working with Shirley? My dad loved it. Uh, he had uh, such high respect for her. And, uh, and and loved loved her. And even after the show, I've got uh, Christmas cards and notes that she sent. And clearly she had the same affection uh, for dad. And um, she, well, she was just a, a, a professional. The chemistry between the two is something that uh, is hard to cast. If you're a casting director, uh, you know, only the best of them know how to, you know, put two together that where there's the chemistry is going to go way beyond uh, each's abilities. Um, and, and, and that's what happened on Hazel. I would say the same thing uh, between Dad and uh, Ozzie Nelson. I mean, their chemistry, you couldn't just write it. It, it, 
it happened between both of them. So uh, Shirley Booth uh, was actually out at our restaurant at Disneyland. So I had a whole day of uh, taking her around and showing her the ins and outs of the park and took her on the Matterhorn ride and you know different things like that. And what was it like for you meeting her and also working with her? I mean, you know, let's face it. I grew up, too, in that era. You know, we all wanted a hazel, you know, and we didn't have one. And what was it like for you to actually be with Shirley? Not much. And that may that's pretty harsh and may sound funny to uh, you and, and your audience. But um, this is part of my story is, is that... I try to explain people even to this day that I am not impressed, nor do I follow, uh, you know, celebrities and, and movie stars because I grew up amongst them. And I, my, the only thing I can explain to myself is my theory is that because it was just, you know, second nature to, to see uh, a celebrity at the local store or wherever I walked or, you know, driving down Mandeville Canyon, you know, it didn't it didn't really mean that much to me. And especially if your uh, parent is uh, a very visible uh, celebrity, it becomes old hat. So I, it, uh, for, for me to meet her and that day at Disneyland and other times when we were together with her, um, it was just another person and, and a very nice person at, at that and nothing like her character, as you probably know. She was a, a very quiet, gentle person. Uh-huh. In other words, she was not intruding in everyone else's business like on the show, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I and I uh, can see where you're coming from. I'm that way, too. I interviewed, you know, hundreds of celebrities over my years in this business. And people will ask me, someone may ask me about you. God, weren't you nervous talking to Ron? And I'm like, no, just like you says, they're people. And they're doing a job is what it is. And when you do it, you see so much, you do think nothing of it. Yeah. Now I must say that uh, the, there have been celebrities where I, I met them and it, it was huge for me. And that was what, so you, what I mentioned you, you earlier. Did, you did get weak in the knees for some of them, right? For, for meeting the Beatles, uh, because this was August 24th, 1964. Uh, they, they had just recently been on uh, Ed Sullivan show and, and, you know, me and my brother and sisters being teenagers obviously were very much into the Beatles and in awe of them. So when my dad tells us at dinner that he got an invitation for a private uh, garden party in Brentwood to, and he pulled out the, the tickets, he says, to meet the Beatles, do you kids know what Beatles are? <laughs> if we said well, we gotta go you know he says well it's like 25 dollars a donation it's a fundraiser and we said doesn't matter we gotta go so we you know we went and and uh you know there was no more than uh, you know maybe 150 people in the backyard of uh uh, uh a one of the uh, capital record producers homes in Brentwood and uh, they were sitting on stools and we just got to each go by and shake hands. And uh, I, I, I've got like three or four black and white stills sh showing the family, shaking hands with them. It was great. And just wonderful guys. They were right. They, they were, you know, perfectly great. I got to talk to them. Oh, what's neat is I had just been given uh, an eight millimeter uh, movie camera for my birthday and 
as it turns out, I didn't discover this until about 10 years ago. I, I'm the only person that has any moving footage of that event because media was not allowed inside. Uh, so I, I was in discussions with uh, a Beatles documentary producer a, a few years ago, and he has uh, interest in, in using that film. I was just going to say, with all the memorabilia that you have in your long career in the industry, do you ever think of opening a museum? I don't think I have enough uh, for a museum. However, I must say, I, I have been the family curator ever since the 70s. So uh, out of all the uh, my siblings, I have the most stuff, including uh, original signs from uh, my dad's uh, restaurant. Uh, one I just finished restoring, and it's hanging in our dining room here at my home. Um, another one, because I, as I'm getting older, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with uh, all this stuff. Uh, I put in a Disney auction uh, last August, and it it was one of the highest uh, bidded items. It, wow. it sold, sold for fifty thousand dollars, and and it was just you know laying in the basement for years. So. Uh, yeah it's again the uh, my dad's restaurant um he was good friends with walt uh and let me back up a second because that's an interesting story uh he became friends with walt uh when he did something uh that many people don't know about don defore my dad uh was president of the academy of television arts and sciences uh for two consecutive years and his first year he was the first person to sell uh, a national broadcast of the emmy awards to nbc and walt disney had been on the board uh, prior and and was among the dozens of people to call my dad and congratulate him for doing that and uh, my dad recalls that that walt said to him don we tried for years to give the show away and we we couldn't couldn't do it he says i really want to meet the guy that was able to sell it so he, he invited my dad out to uh, uh burbank studios and uh, for a personal tour and part of that tour uh, again this was in 54 two years before disneyland opened but part of the tour was showing my dad some uh, secret sound stages that had a lot of the animatronics that would soon be going into Disneyland. Uh, fast forward to uh, July 17th, 1955, the opening uh, day parade of Disneyland. Our, my, my whole family, the, the DeFore family, were in the parade in the Autopia cars riding up, uh, up Main Street. And then it was uh, about a year later uh, some space became available in Frontierland, and my dad was offered to uh, open his own restaurant. And what is truly historic is that my dad was the only person to own a food concession inside Disneyland bearing the name of a live person. It, the name of the restaurant was Don DeFore Silver Banjo Barbecue. And the head of Disney Archives even confirmed, in fact, I have it on the back of my book, that, uh, you know, dad must have been pretty good friends with Walt for Walt to allow my dad to display his name. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I could see also, as you're telling me about your dad, and you mentioned earlier about all your goals and everything you've accomplished, I could tell you definitely got that from your dad. He was the same way. I could see he liked to have his hands in a lot of things. Oh, uh, definitely. He he uh, he always had <laughs> at least a couple of projects going at once. He, mm-hmm. he was far more than just an actor. All right. Now, Ron, I just want to talk a little about your mom. Obviously, she was in the business, too. Tell us a little about her. Well, my dad uh, did a lot of Broadway. In fact, uh, uh, co-starred in in a few different Broadway productions. Uh, in 1941, uh, he was co-starring in The Male Animal on Broadway, which uh, at that time was the number one comedy hit uh, on Broadway. And, and then it hit the road. And so uh, before they left uh, New York, uh, one of the uh, people in the cast that was not going, they kept on saying, you need to look up my friend who sings with uh, a uh, orchestra every Saturday night uh, in Chicago. And so when you know the play is there you got to go so fast forward to my dad right towards the end of the chicago run uh he and a gang go go look at this uh art art castle and castles in the air orchestra with uh the uh lead vocalist marion holmes and uh one thing led to another they met they kept uh, corresponding and on on uh, February 14th, Valentine's Day, 1942, uh, they got married. But uh, mom, for her short career in the late 30s and, and 40s, uh, recorded with uh, both Art Castle and Henry Bussey. Uh, I've got several of those uh, records on my wall, as a matter of fact. Uh, the most significant one that she made famous is I'm a Little Teapot. So that's her career. It was short, but uh, pretty glamorous. And also, from what I understand, correct me if I am wrong, Judy Garland was the matron of honor at your dad and mom's wedding? Yes. Yes. Uh, And uh, the way that happened is that Judy's first husband, David Rose, was an orchestra leader. And my mom had known him, in fact, had dated him for a while. Uh, and and again, she grew up and performed mostly in Chicago uh, when not on the road. But here she was getting married in Los Angeles with my dad, had no friends or relatives out in L.A. So she asked her old friend, David Rose, do you think uh, Judy would stand up at my wedding? And he, they said, oh, for sure. And uh, so... <laughs> Uh, again, those are some great photos I've got on my wall. With oh, uh, Yeah, that that is an unbelievable story. And it is amazing how your dad became acquainted with all these, I mean, well-known people. These, you know, these are all legendary people that your dad was friends with. So that is amazing. Do you have any uh, Martin and Lewis stories? I did. You were reading my mind because I was I was going to say not only did he know a lot of these people, but dad uh, co-starred in the first uh, feature films of uh, Doris Day, um, Elizabeth Scott, uh, Charlton Heston and to the uh, Jerry Lewis 
uh, Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis question you just asked, my favorite lobby card, I'm looking at it, is uh, uh, my friend Irma, which has my dad listed above with a few other stars, and in small print says, introducing Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. Wow. <laughs> and um, I forgot to mention that the first half of my book is mostly my dad's writing because huh? he, he had. He was, he, it was never published or something, correct? He, he died three months before, uh, or I'm sorry, three months after he finished uh, his his memoirs and would have been, would have been published i'm sure um but for all these decades i've i've had it on my on various computers and transferred you know to uh, new computers uh and my brother and i have you know never known what to do with it so this was the perfect way to do it and there's a great story on uh from my dad about making this picture and um and with dean martin jerry lewis who were performing at a, I think it was called Waxy Maxies on, on Wilshire Boulevard, a, a comedy club. This would have been uh, late 40s. Anyway, yeah, and and anyway, so they were popular locally, and, and they got this part, and uh, my dad tells the story about how um, every time, though, they were shooting their scenes, they weren't funny at all, and the director came to my dad and he said, look, I understand you you and your wife have been going a couple of times to the club and you you were telling me that they're, they're knocking them dead and that they, the crowd was laughing every minute. And my dad came up with the idea. He said, well, maybe that's it. They need a crowd. And so uh, very unusual in the business, as I'm sure you know, the director actually brought in folding chairs and, and brought in about 25 people to reshoot the films so that they would actually have you know live feedback. And then, according to history, uh, the scenes were, were a smash. But that, that's, that was it. At first, they needed uh, that feedback. Yeah, you know, many years ago, I had the chance to meet Carol Burnett. And uh, that was the question I asked her about the famous Tarzan call. And, you know, just like what you said about your dad, she said the same thing. Do you know I cannot do it unless I'm in front of an audience? <laughs> yeah. She's like, no way. She said, if I did it right now for you, I would disgrace myself. She <laughs> said, I have to have the audience there. And uh, that is, that is really, uh, it's amazing. Uh, Ron, let me ask you, Hollywood today, what do you think your dad would say today as opposed to back when he was in it? Well, uh, I think that's where his uh, conservatism would kick in and he would probably uh uh, prefer the the old days as opposed to what <laughs> what is going on today. Mm -hmm. and I, no, that's not to say I'm I'm sure you know there's newer films uh, since he passed away. Well, there's dozens of them that, that I like, and I'm so much like my dad that I I know that he would enjoy you know the film and certain people's performances. But you asked about Hollywood in general, so I'm giving you a, a, a general answer about how he probably would feel. Has anyone ever told you you sound like Dad? Oh, yeah. Well, and, and they say I, I look like him, too. So. 
I, I, I keep on, every time I, uh, I bump into somebody that's in the world of uh, Hollywood productions, which isn't that often these days, but I, I put a bug in their ear and I say, okay, so if you ever run into somebody that wants to do a remake of Hazel, please consider me for playing part of George Baxter. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt, hands in, down. <laughs> in, in fact, in the, uh, it was somewhere around 2000. To 2003, I read so somebody sent me uh, a producer friend actually sent me a blurb out of one of the uh, probably Variety or the Reporter uh, that that had a blurb about Penny Marshall uh, considering doing a remake and and I I said you got to get in there and tell them you know my desire. Unfortunately, Penny Marshall's uh, effort to do that uh, fell flat. So uh, I'm still hoping. Right. So you would feel very good about a remake of Hazel. Oh, sure. Why not? Okay. Yeah. Very interesting. Any idea who you would think could play Hazel? I knew you were going to ask that. I have no idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, she, uh, yeah, it'd be tough to, uh, to, Re reproduce that. That would be tough. How do you, uh, Ron, how do you feel about these shows like Hazel being back today on TV? You know, your decades, antenna, TV, all this. What do you think about these shows coming oh, back? It's, it's a whole new generation. It's fantastic. Um, uh, for me personally, and then also for for uh, just their their acting ability to be continued on in, in uh, successive generations. Um, for me personally, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to describe. I mean, it's like a daily dose of, of neat feelings because I, I have a Facebook page, the Don DeFore fan club. And then I also participate. There's three different Hazel Facebook groups and occasionally I'll jump in there. Well, whenever I jump in there, you know, I'll like uh, recently for Christmas, I, I, uh, put a little blurb in there and I, I uploaded a Christmas card that that Shirley had sent to our family, you know, with a personal note and, and everything. Well, they just went bananas, <laughs> and 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 they all all the feedback is, oh, we loved your dad. He was great. Thank you for posting. And you know, I I I can count on one hand the number of postings over the last couple of years that aren't. Great. I mean, I remember there was one guy among all these uh, adulations that one guy right in the middle just says, I hated Hazel. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> well, bully for him. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. The rest of the world, the darker. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, like I said, with these shows airing today on different outlets, I mean, it's amazing. I mean, I actually know a, a little boy that's seven years old, and I heard him like, I was watching Hazel. And I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I mean, this is, and it was decades ago, and today the kids are into it. So, yeah, that is wonderful. But I will say the cast of Hazel, I've been a fan of that show, as you could tell. I mean, your dad, um, Whitney Blake, the uh, little boy, I mean, it that was a perfect cast. Whoever the casting director was for that show really did a job. Yeah, they, uh, they did do a good job. And my dad... Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I must say, too, in addition to Hazel, um, there's a seems to be a real resurgence in uh, older films from the 40s and 50s. And and so I also participate. 
there's like four or five uh, Turner Classic Movie uh, uh, Facebook uh, pages, and I participate in that all the time. I, what I do is I I watch you know the schedule, and so uh, like the most recent one was just a couple of weeks ago, uh, a picture that he made with Spencer Tracy called a guy named Joe. So. I'll put, you know, a notice, you know, that it's coming up, set your DVRs, and I'll put a, a, a couple of lobby cards up there and maybe some of the publicity stills that I have with Dad and Spencer Tracy. And uh, it gets literally hundreds of comments and, you know, some of them go over a thousand uh, mm-hmm. thumbs ups and, you know, it, it's it's great feedback. Yeah. Yeah, don't you think that back in your dad's time, scripts were actually written better than they are today? Um, it's hard for me to say, you know, having been gone from the business for so long, so I don't get to see uh, the scripts. Um, or how about the mystique of Hollywood? You know, like we hear of the golden ages. And, and I've been to Hollywood many times myself. And I mean, you know, walking down Hollywood Boulevard and what I see and I would think to myself, God, I wonder what this was like in the 40s. Because it seemed like the 40s, 50s, the class and the elegance of Hollywood was there as opposed to today. At least it's my opinion. What well, would you think? Yeah, yeah I, I agree 100%. Um, uh, it it's just it's not the doesn't have the same weight as it had in the 40s 50s even even 60s um it i don't know it somehow has been diluted or diminished um it's just the uh uh the the sparkle the uh the uniqueness uh, of it. It's just, it's kind of, it's gone. Yeah, because, you know, back in the day of the Academy Awards, and I mean, oh my God, that was, that evening was like gold, you know, like the statue. It was, you know, the stars came, everybody was in awe, everybody was watching. And today, sometimes, you know, the Academy Awards will be on, you talk, to me, eh, you know, it's another show. Nobody makes nothing out of it, but it seems like back then, it was really something. Yeah, yeah, it, it's just not what it used to be. Oh, it just lost its luster. Maybe there'll be a chance that we'll come back. We can only hope so. Well, that would be uh, that would be Ooh, nice. Yeah. Well, Ron, I must tell you, this was a lot of fun. Again, I want you to a little just elaborate before we go. Growing up in Disneyland, uh, for anyone that purchases the book, first of all, tell us where is the book available? Well, it's available anywhere you can get books, Amazon and everything else. But I do encourage people, uh, if they want to learn more about the book, to visit the book's website, which is growingupindisneyland.com. And there's a short five-minute video uh, preview of the book. And there's also a link, uh, while supplies last, there's a link for those that want to order a autographed copy right from me oh excellent excellent let me just let me just repeat it that's growing up in disneyland.com growing up in disneyland.com and knowing that ron wrote the book it has to be an excellent book i am sure this is something that many people will really enjoy reading what are you hoping ron for the audience to get out of the book um First of all, I didn't write it to make money. I wrote it as a tribute to my dad and and encouragement for many, many others that have heard my stories, not only about my dad, but just through my life, who have just said, you got to 
write a book. So I'm hoping that, uh, and, and the the feedback I've, I'm getting over a hundred uh, uh, comments on on Amazon alone, and, and then on the Facebook is people love my writing. It's a it's a very relaxed, easy read. People say it's a page turner. They couldn't. I, I've got some people that are already telling me they're reading it for a second time that they loved it so much. And because it's a combination of hearing my dad's own words that were never published and my own, they they just love that. The one caveat that I, I almost forgot, I need to let people know this is not a book all about Disneyland. <laughs> the, the, the title, I mean, we had the restaurant, yes, but the title is more of a metaphor for my life growing up uh, in the Don DeFore family. Uh, I, I would have uh, almost a perfect rating on Amazon if it weren't for three pinheads that said, hey, this wasn't a book all about Disneyland. So they gave me like three stars. Did the DeFore household actually have a Hazel? Um, yes. Okay. Um, uh, but, but nothing like Hazel. They, 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 they weren't dressed in a uniform. And, and we had, uh, I think we had, we had probably four or five. Uh, they, they weren't live-in. And what's funny is uh, the house, again, it was a pretty fantastic house my, had, my dad had built. Uh, it had a maid's room, but it, we just used it for like storage. So we never had a live-in uh, maid, but we had uh, one that would come a couple times a week. Okay. And Shirley has never volunteered her service. No, no, she never did. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, Ron, listen, it was wonderful having you on the program. And uh, I think it is just wonderful how you are keeping your dad's legacy alive and going. And um, it's just amazing. And I'm sure writing the book for you was kind of like reliving life all over from the first day on this earth, correct? It, it was very therapeutic. And I'm mm -hmm. glad that I did it. Sure. Well, listen, thanks again for being here. Once again, the name of the book is Growing Up in Disneyland. Check it up, or check it out rather, growingupindisneyland.com. Click on the video that Ron spoke about. And again, Ron, all the best to you. And finally, before we leave, any future plans for you? I know you're not done. You still must have some goals. <laughs> Well, uh, I, I, I just take what comes along. I don't have anything uh, planned. Mm -hmm. uh, my latest posting on, uh, on various Facebook groups was uh, uh, wishing my mom, who has passed away, a mm -hmm. happy birthday, which was on uh, the 21st. Yes, of the I saw that. Um, and I also uh, uploaded one of her recordings. So uh, as I do with my dad, I got a stream of, of more than 100 different comments. The one most common was, you need to write another book. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe that day will come. Who knows? But anyway, Ron, once again, it was a pleasure. Uh, great speaking with you. I love stories of somebody that grew up in Hollywood and turned out as wonderful as you have done. And what you are doing today, I think it's just remarkable. Well, thank you very much, Mark. And I uh, hope you're in, your audience enjoyed it as well.